Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Well, as uh, some of you know, over the past several years, I've taken opportunity to address uh, several of the seven deadly sins. In fact, I've covered in various contexts five of the seven, and the only two that I haven't covered yet are sloth and envy. And this morning, we are going to be considering the deadly sin of sloth. Now, I'll I'll confess, when I first began my personal study of the seven deadly sins, I assumed that one of the ones that I had the least amount of problems with was sloth. Uh, But by the time I got done studying them, I've concluded that perhaps it's my biggest problem. And you might conclude the same thing by the time we get done considering it this morning. We'll see. But we're going to consider this deadly sin of sloth by looking at 1 Corinthians 13, which is a well-known chapter on love. And so it's probably not the first passage that you would think of when you think about the sin of sloth. Uh, But I hope that the reason for the selection will become clearer as we move ahead. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. Specifically, we're going to concentrate just on verse 7. Uh, But we're going to read the first eight verses from 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't have a Bible, uh, as Larry mentioned earlier, there are some Bibles in the racks in the seats in front of you, and you can find this passage on page 559 of those Bibles. And so let's all turn to 1 Corinthians 13, read the first eight verses. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, I have not love, nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord abides forever. You can be seated. Well, if you've ever seen the Disney film Zootopia, you undoubtedly remember the scene in which the main character, which is a bunny rabbit named Judy Hopps, is in a hurry to solve a crime and she needs to run a license plate check. And so her less than cooperative companion, who's a fox, takes her to a license branch, which is staffed entirely by sloths. It's a picture of the sloth right there. They move slowly, talk slowly, They work slowly, excruciatingly so. It's very well done. It's quite humorous. In fact, it's so funny that we might end up thinking it odd and even unwarranted that historically the church has regarded sloth or being slothful as a serious vice, listed as one of the seven deadly sins. I mean, how big a deal can sloth be? And certainly it doesn't seem to cause the kind of personal destruction or is socially as problematic as, say, things like envy, or anger, or greed, or lust, 
haven't heard of very many sloth kills conferences being offered lately. As one writer questions, since when was sitting on the couch watching reruns of The Office and munching on a bag of chips a moral and spiritual failure of the first order? That's a good question, right? Assuming that that's an accurate depiction of sloth, is it? Is that an accurate depiction of sloth? Well, I think to understand why the church has historically regarded sloth as a deadly sin, we have to explore the traditional meaning. And so let's start with that. Let's start with knowing sloth. What exactly is it? What does it mean? Now, we certainly would say many people would readily regard sloth as something to be discouraged because we have a general cultural disapproval toward laziness. I mean, we don't tend to see someone who habitually oversleeps, spends half the day in his or her pajamas and refuses to get a job as somebody who's virtuous. Rather, on the contrary, we tend to value highly productivity and efficiency, which is why that scene in Zootopia can be very painful to watch because we value efficiency and productivity. And this value produces in our culture a fair number of what we might call workaholics, people who are given to their work. And that might lead some people to think that in our society, we actually have a bigger problem with the opposite of sloth. But all of this assumes that sloth is primarily about physical laziness and avoiding the demands required by labor. It's not. It's not what sloth is primarily about. Now, sloth might encompass physical laziness and avoiding the demands of labor, but it's broader than that. Traditionally understood, sloth, or the Latin term, acedia, has been understood as being essentially about spiritual apathy and avoiding the demands of love. It's essentially what sloth is about, spiritual apathy and avoiding the demands required by love. In other words, we're closer to knowing sloth in the traditional sense if we see it opposing not the virtue of work, Opposing the virtue of love. Sloth is seen most vividly in the context of relationship. And whereas love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, bears all things, or what we could say puts up all things. I think that's a better translation and understanding than the NIVs always protects. Love bears all things, puts up with all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Sloth doesn't. Where love does that, sloth does not. Listen, Paul's a realist in 1 Corinthians 13, isn't he? He understands that love is hard. Relationships are messy. That calls for a great deal of humility and patience, forgiveness, and overlooking provocations. But Paul says that no matter what, no matter how hard things get, no matter how messy that relationship is, true love remains steadfast, unwavering. By contrast, the language of sloth says, I quit. I do it anymore. I won't do it anymore. Ender. That's the language of sloth. Here's how Rebecca DeYoung explains it in her book on the seven deadly sins. I've, I've referred to this book in the past. She writes this about sloth. To be in a relationship of love, change us, cost us, or require us to restructure our priorities. It may compromise our plans, and it will demand sacrifice. It is through daily practices and disciplines, whether we feel like doing them or not, 
that the decision to love is renewed and refreshed and commitment to love is kept alive. The slothful person in this sense is one who resists the effort of doing day after day after day whatever it takes to keep the bonds of love strong and healthy. It's helpful to capture the meaning of sloth. Understanding it this way brings us closer to knowing sloth, what it is in the traditional sense. But understanding it this way also moves us closer to being able to identify the ways we are guilty of showing sloth. And so let's look at that second. How do we manifest sloth in life? Well, sloth seeks to flee, abandon, escape, avoid, neglect what love requires relationships. It seeks to escape those things. And this is true in our relationships with others. For example, marriage. I'm convinced that one of the biggest problems in struggling marriages, and even in marriages that are good but not great, is the deadly sin of sloth. Sloth that resists the work of really talking to each other, really listening to each other. The work of putting the other first the work of asking for and extending forgiveness and working through the process of reconciliation and rebuilding trust. Sloth resists that work. Let me share with you DeYoung's insights again. She writes, imagine a typical husband and wife. One evening they quarrel at dinner time and head off to opposite corners of the house, house for the rest of the night. They find it much easier to maintain that miserable distance and alienation from each other than to do the work of apologizing, forgiving, and reconciling. Learning to live together and love each other well after a rift requires giving up their anger, desire to have their own way, their insistence on seeing the world only from his or her own perspective. Saying I'm sorry takes effort, but it is not simply the physical work of walking across the house and saying the words that each resists. Do they want the relationship? Yes, they do. But do they want to do what it takes to be in that relationship? Do they want to honor its claims on them? Do they want to learn genuine unselfishness in the ordinary daily task of living together? Well, maybe tomorrow. For now, at least, each spouse wants the night off to wallow in his or her own selfish loneliness. This is true especially when love takes effort or feels like a formality an empty ritual. It helps us understand how sloth is at the heart of so much divorce. Now, let me, let me say very clearly that there are some divorces that are not the result of sloth. There are biblical grounds for divorce. Fidelity, physical and emotional abuse, abandonment. But all this cultural talk of irreconcilable differences is really most of the time a simple expression of sloth. Of sloth that says, I'm just not going to put up with this person anymore. I'm not going to bear any of these challenges anymore. I'm not going to work to rebuild trust. I'm not going to continue hoping that things will change. Sloth. And when sloth doesn't lead to divorce, still cause the heart to shut down and check out emotionally, that where there ought to be the warmth of love in the heart, you'll only find cold indifference. We've accepted that cold indifference and we've given into sloth. Think that cold indifference is a fine norm? Sloth. It refuses to do the work, reawakening love. What about parenting? Our biggest hindrance in parenting well isn't really that we don't know what to do. That can be the case sometimes. We just don't know quite what to do as parents. 
Isn't it more often the case that we know exactly what to do, we just don't want to do it? Because it's hard. It requires sacrifice and time. You know, we'll talk about the gospel with our kids. Or we'll want to impress upon them some kind of virtue or, or some kind of piece of life wisdom that it took us decades to obtain. But when our children don't respond immediately with thanking us for sharing our insights with them or showing the immediate fruit of growth and maturity, we get discouraged, disappointed, frustrated, and feel like giving up because somehow we've bought this notion that we should only have to say it once. There are some instances in which we should only have to say certain things once, but most of parenting is not that way. Only parenting were that easy. Folly that's bound up in the heart of a child requires repeated and patient instruction. Lots and lots of bearing and believing and hoping and enduring. That's what it takes. In my own experience, almost like nothing else, godly parenting demands a tear down the idol of convenience. It demands it. Tear down the idol of convenience. Godly parenting demands it. Both resists the demolition because it's hard. I wonder how much of our changing careers and changing college majors is less about God's call upon our life and more about sloth. And because we can't equate sloth with mere physical idleness, it's possible that we're guilty of showing sloth by working too much. Think about it. Isn't it often easier to work at a job than to work at a relationship? It's easier in a lot of ways. And so there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time at work don't want to be at home. Do you know what they find at home? Relationships that demand the sacrifices of love. It's hard. It's just easier to work all the time. Flee, escape, avoid those requirements. Sloth. And it's true, as I mentioned, we don't have sloth kills conferences. Pornography can be fueled as much by sloth as it can be by lust. Because real intimacy in real relationships is much more difficult to cultivate than the pseudo-intimacy that fantasy affords with no actual relationship. It's emptier than real intimacy, easier. Pornography can be one of the ways that we show sloth is at work. The slothful also will avoid needy people that require sacrifice and the investment of time. Sloths will shirk any responsibility. They will not take on responsibilities because they don't want that obligation or commitment to other people. Procrastination. Be content with being a spectator, right? Not, it's just avoiding involvement. Slothful people also avoid hard conversations. So those kinds of conversations that involve confronting, challenging, rebuking, correcting, because those conversations are awkward. They're hard. They're difficult. In my own heart, I resist having those kinds of conversations because I just don't want to expend that kind of energy. don't want to practice that kind of selflessness and sacrifice. I don't want to open myself up to that kind of scrutiny. I don't want to have to invest that kind of time. You know why? Because I don't love people enough to do that. That's a problem of sloth. I don't love people enough to have the hard conversation. Think about it this way. Sloth in general resists moving toward people. Sloth doesn't like to move toward people in love. Think about this. Are there people in your life right now that you should be moving toward in love? You're not because of sloth. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you move toward them with encouragement or something savvy. It might mean moving toward them with confrontation, with challenge, with rebuke, with correction. But are there people that you need to be moving toward love? You're not because of sloth. Because it's just too hard. One last thing we could say here is remember that the servant in Jesus' parable who buried his talent, he's referred to as a wicked, slothful servant. It's because sloth prevents us from using our gifts, our talents, and our time as expressions of love. Others? God. It can be shown in working too much, but it's also true that sloth is seen in not working at all. In its essence, work is about faithfulness to God, it's about serving others in love. That's what our work is for, of service in love toward others. Sloth will prevent us from using our gifts, talents, and time in service to others, but also in service to God. So let's make no mistake about it. Sloth is at its heart lack of love toward God. So how are we guilty of showing sloth in our relationship? God. It really, even our love for others is an expression of our love for God. And love for our Heavenly Father bears all things. The loss of possessions, the loss of reputation, the loss of worldly affirmation, it will bear those things. Love for God will bear those things. It will bear a cross in order to follow Jesus. Leave all things. We'll continue to trust him and his word and his promises and his plan, even when our circumstances don't make sense. It will hope all things because the God we serve is able to use all things for good things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose and we serve a God who's powerful enough to change anyone or any situation regardless of how hopeless it seems so it hopes all things and it endures but this takes effort requires effort we cannot earn our salvation but like other relationships our relationship with God our cultivation of holiness our conformity to Jesus it does require grace empowered effort like any relationship, it requires effort. Listen to what um, Peter says in 2 Peter 1. Make every effort. Supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly love, brotherly affection and brotherly affection. Love. Effort. Every effort in your pursuit of your relationship with God. Paul says the same thing. I don't remember if that's up here or not. Yeah, Paul says the same thing in Philippians. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do not earn our salvation. Our growth in our relationship with God does call for effort. And it's this effort, daily, demanding, and sacrificial, that sloth resists. Be honest. Christian discipleship is hard. It's hard to follow Jesus. There's a cost involved in that. Jesus makes that clear. He doesn't deceive us in that. He says it very plainly. There's a cost in that. It's that what sloth resists. But here's what Jan Jonathan Edwards offers, a stinging truth in light of how we are to respond to that. He says, he that does not receive Christ with his cross as well as his crown does not truly receive him at all. They that receive only the easy part of Christianity and not the difficult best are but almost Christians. There are hard parts, loving God and loving others. Simply put, sloth flees, abandons, apes, avoids, and neglects 
practice of spiritual disciplines. It resists the disciplines, which are the means by which we seek to cultivate a deeper love and devotion for God. We practice the disciplines, but the sloth will resist these kinds of disciplines. For example, Bible reading. Bible reading, reading other books that help us understand and apply the Bible better. Being a part of Bible studies that help us grow in our understanding of the Word. Rolling out of bed early enough to come to Sunday school so we can learn about the Bible more and learn to apply it to our lives more. That kind of discipline. The discipline of praying. The discipline of private prayer life and a corporate prayer life. You know, we have a monthly prayer meeting here at New Life. This is not to inflict guilt, to assess where we are. Prayer meeting is very lightly attended. I wonder if that's an indication that we have grown slothful in our corporate prayer life. The discipline of attending worship week after week after week after week after week. Guarding that with the way that we plan for a week. The discipline of fellowship, which might involve committing to a life group here at New Life. Serving, being on a ministry team, serving people at your work, serving people at home, witnessing. Those kinds of disciplines. That's what we're talking about. Cultivating love, deeper love for God. See, this is exactly what the sloth is going to resist. The sloth is going to have a hard time committing to daily Bible reading because at some point it's going to get tedious. It's going to feel boring, formulaic. We just quit. Boring. We're not going to endure. Prayer doesn't really work. That doesn't really give me what I ask him in prayer. I'm really not going to continue hoping that things will change by praying because it's just too hard to be let down again. I'm just not going to pray. Well, I could go to worship, but I'd put forth the effort. It's not that I can't be there. It's just I really don't want to put forth the effort to be there. And serving people, I think I'm, I'd rather bury my gift because it's too hard to be around people don't respond with the kind of gratitude I think they should I'm serving them. So Sloth concludes that the disciplines don't work, they're boring, we're too busy, they're too hard. Be honest. The real problem is not with Bible reading. The Bible isn't boring. It isn't with the Bible. The problem isn't with prayer. The problem isn't with worship. The problem isn't with serving. The problem isn't with other people. The problem is in our hearts. Affected with the deadly sin of sloth. That's the problem. You know, at its most extreme, sloth will give up entirely and all relationships, not putting up with anything from anyone any longer, leaving in nothing, hoping in nothing, no longer willing to remain or endure at all. You know what you call that? Sloth reaches that extreme point. You know what it is? Suicide is an extreme form of sloth. Ask anybody who's been impacted by suicide and ask them if it feels like a loving act. It's not a loving act. The resistance and ultimate refusal to be committed to any of the requirements of love anymore. That's what it is. Sloth wants it easy. The demands of sacrificially loving God and loving others are too difficult, too painful, too burdensome. But the only way to life. Sloth leads to death. Many slow deaths or literally death in suicide. Sloth leads to death. Love leads to life. And so we need to learn to battle our sloth. How do we do that? How do we learn to fight against sloth? Well, let's consider that third. Overthrowing sloth. I did not alliterate my points, but I did rhyme them. We have to knowing sloth, showing sloth. How do we go about over, overthrowing sloth? Well, perhaps the first step 
is to anticipate combat. Expect there to be a battle. Stop that posture from the very outset. What makes us think that our sanctification and our relationship with God and with others is going to be easy or tranquil? We've forgotten that there's an enemy who wants to break our communion with our Father, doesn't want us in the Word, who doesn't want us to be praying, who doesn't want us to practice spiritual disciplines. We have an enemy that has to be battled. That involves combat. And do we ignore those passages in the Scripture that tell us about the warfare between the sinful flesh and the spirit dwelling within us? Warfare. And are we minimizing the extent of damage and pain and wounds and fractures that sin, your sin and my sin, can inflict in the context of our relationships? It's vast. And so loving God and loving others will involve combat. And the vast majority of that combat fought on the turf of our own hearts, where the battle is in sloth. It's right here. Anticipate that combat. In addition, always consider. In the midst of that combat, always consider, and specifically, consider Jesus and his sacrificial and steadfast love toward hard-to-love sinful people. This is what the author of Hebrews tells us to do. That's what it says in Hebrews 12. Let us run with endurance race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that, consider him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, so that you don't give in to sloth. Consider him in your struggle against sin. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood like Jesus did. Resistance, you've not reached that point. Jesus did. For overthrowing sloth, look to Jesus and consider what he endured. For sloths. Being, straying, fleeing, fearful sloths. Think love is costly? You think it's demanding? It's painful? Right. Really love people. Is that? Love people who sin against you. Put up with people who let you down. Step into the mess of people's lives. Extend forgiveness. And be excruciating. Excruciating. Remember, it was that way for Jesus too. Love sinful people with people who let him down to enter into the mess of broken people's lives and to extend forgiveness excruciating for him too as excruciating as a crucifixion just the same root in those two words this is excruciating the crucifixion for jesus he did get to the point where he shed his blood to sin but in that in his love he was willing to bear all things bear my sin sin whole of it but believe all things to trust in the father's will for him even in the darkness of gethsemane not my will but yours be done father of he hoped all things for the joy set before him for that joy set before him he endured all things even the cross and the father's wrath but the reason that he did that was out of his love for you and for me allow me to use a mixed martial arts expression mixed martial arts fighting Jesus never tapped out. What fighters do when they give up the fight? They tap out, fight over. Much pain. Jesus never tapped out. Never gave in to sloth. Never said, that's it. That's enough. I quit. It's not worth it. Jesus never said, you're not 
How can we say that to him? How can we say that to others? Jesus died for sloths. He died to empower sloths like us to overthrow it by considering him who first loved us, that we might love him and others as we've already been loved. Another way to say all of this, always consider, survey the wonderful cross. To overthrow sloth, survey the wonderful cross because there we behold a love so amazing, so divine that it demands myself, my life, and my all. Sloth says surrender, give up, abandon, why bother? The way to answer back to sloth is this, love, love is why bother. I will bother to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things because I love you. I will love you because I love my Redeemer who has already loved me with a love that bears all things, believes all things, helps all things, endures all things. So let's look to Jesus and battle sloth. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts and you know we need to repent of our sloth. Give us grace to do that. Help us to be faithful in the warfare and help us to look to you thank you that you were not slothful your love for us but that you died and shed your blood that we might be cleansed that we might be saved you died for us cleanse us and to empower us may we live in the reality of that in jesus name amen